Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us John Kidwell with the Kidwell team. Welcome, John. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Kidwell team. How are you serving folks? Yeah, uh, so the Kidwell team is the uh, business that my wife and I own and and that I operate and run. And, and what we do is we work with nonprofits. I'm a nonprofit leadership and business coach. So I work with nonprofit executives, leaders, pastors, and and really help them serve people well, uh, earn money in the process so that they can have a really big impact through their mission. So now what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in the nonprofit space? Great question. It's a fun one. It goes back all the way till my very first job, uh, 16 years old. I've always been in the nonprofit space in some way or form. So started off camp counselor, daycare, after school. Uh, I was a professional teacher and thought I'd be a principal, but I just felt this call to be in a, a different space. And so got into uh, more of a nonprofit business organization and, and really started testing what is it like to serve people uh, but to do it while also paying attention to selling programs, uh, selling memberships, fundraising, going after grants. And uh, and I did that uh, for six years. I actually entered into um, the YMC of Greater Houston as a, an entry-level leader, and in six years grew to be our vice president of innovation and operations. And that had me leading about 1,100 people, 12 areas of our business, and uh, responsible for about a fifth of our $140 million nonprofit organization in Houston. Now, um, being a nonprofit doesn't mean you don't uh, need money. <laughs> and I think that's one right. of the misconceptions that no matter what kind of organization you, you're part of, selling is part of this. Uh, you have to kind of have revenue somewhere. Uh, is this kind of a mindset shift that you have to help your leaders um, work through? like to feel good about the money exchange part? Yeah, it, it is this interesting thing, right? And I think for those of us that have that heart of service where we care about people, we, we always want to make sure we're on that side of the fence, right? Um, and maybe it's just me, but I'll play out the, uh, the, the Madoff story or the Enron story. And you think if you just even tiptoe close to that cliff of being too money-minded, uh, you're going to fall over, right? And and that's often not the case, but but working through that mindset is is often a part of it. About half of the folks that I work with don't yet have organizations that earn money. Uh, so they do grants and they fundraise. And as you said so well, there's selling involved in both of those, right? And in donations, I am connecting a donor with an impact that, that they're seeking to make. And in the grant world, you are selling the fact that you're going to deliver on what the government or an organization wants to see happen. And then um, once you kind of help them understand that it's okay to ask for money, and in fact, yeah. we can't help people unless we really get this part figured out, uh, because yeah. it's you're kind of limiting yourself if you're only relying on that one revenue stream of 
you know, government grants, right? There, there's a whole lot of other in, uh, more impact you can be making if you kind of broaden the people that you're asking money for and serving. Absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you a question, if I may. Lee, if, if you were looking to give $1,000 and I said your $1,000 is going to put 400 meals uh, out to hungry children, or your $1,000 uh, can support my R&D where I get to get better food or figure out a better delivery mechanism, where are you more likely to put that money? Right. So the, when you tell me, and especially if you show me 400 people's faces, that's pretty yeah. persuasive. Um, but if yeah. you show me the R&D part and show me 10,000 people's faces, that's pretty persuasive too. Um, so, mm -hmm. and, and I guess it has to align with everybody's individual kind of desires on what type of impact they want to kind of have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you, you said something really powerful, right? When I see the faces, when I see the hungry kids, that's usually the more immediate need. And uh, they usually uh, take precedent. Usually in grants, you can't ask for some of those other things. And in fundraising, it's much more what's the need in front of you, where when when we develop out programs and services, products or goods that we can sell as a part of our service, um, you and I both know that we can build in margin inside of there, where we can look for ways to pay living wages to our team, where we can put money into retained earnings uh, instead of having to fundraise for that, um, all of it in service of the mission and the people that, that we aim to, to impact. Um, but like you said, it's, it's a different avenue. And not only does it give us the extra bandwidth, uh, as you were talking about, it also diversifies. If I lose, and here's a quick story for you, 2016, we kind of had perfect storm in our organization. We would raise about half a million dollars a year. And in the matter of weeks, uh, we had two grants and four major donors about $150,000, so 30% roughly of what we raised every year, just vanished, gone. Uh, they were just stopping their support for our organization. And that would have left us devastated. We would have had to choose which programs we weren't gonna do, which kids aren't gonna get the meals, right? Uh, we had earned revenue programs and we said, okay, we have a way to serve people. We also have a way to make money, we also know that we're not at our capacity. What if we intentionally went after serving more people through our earned revenue programs while kind of stirring the pot, looking for more funders and grants, but we said, this is a focus of ours. And, and we did, and we earned $110,000 over budget, which meant instead of 30% of our programs, we were looking at about 8% that we said, hey, we, we just really can't do these this year. And that's just by kind of looking at it a little differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the kind of phrasing and words that I use are servant heart and and business mind. And in my head, what that is, uh, and what I share with folks is that this is that leader that is absolutely passionate and devoted to the mission, uh, to making sure that people are taken care of, and can also uh, focus on making and managing money so that the mission, taking care of people and furthering it gets to continue uh, and that it, it doesn't stop. They, they walk that hard line of balancing people and money and, and how we make them work together for a greater good. Now, I think that uh, some of the challenges in nonprofits are the same challenges that for-profit companies have is that in the, in the uh, general population, the word profit is kind of a bad word. 
Um, yeah. And that's something that is in people's mind, for whatever reason, they um, connect it with um, greed or exploitation or, you know, taking advantage of one group. And I think that uh, we, as leaders of all, uh, both nonprofit and for-profit, we really have to take that word back because without profit, you really don't have a business. Yeah, it, it's it's simply margin, right? Um, if if I need to uh, spend five dollars in terms of my people and my cost and my delivery and my tech, if if I make five dollars or less. There's, there's no room for doing anything outside of that ever, right? And so if, in fact, we make $10 on something that costs us five, now we have $5 of margin. And so here's the thing with nonprofits that is, is different than a for-profit uh, entity. Uh, they have rules that say that I, as an individual, Lee, you as a board member, we don't get disbursements of that profit. That $5 gap there, we get to use that to do whatever we can to further the mission, the explicit mission of the organization, uh, but we don't pay out individual shareholders based on that. Right. And that, and that's a big difference because uh, the, then the mission is aligned with the cause, which is aligned with the money coming in. Like there's more kind of um, the incentives are all aligned. You got it. Absolutely. So now when uh, a nonprofit, are they hesitant to invest in a coach? Because uh, like you said, this is the, the margin. So they're taking some of their margin and investing it in a coach with the expectation that that's going to increase the amount of revenue and the increase of amount of margin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I can't answer for all of them. I would say that, that it depends. Uh, and so in, in my experience, uh, working with executives talking about how we look at coaching and what that return should be, right? If you pay me X amount, uh, your leadership, your uh, program offerings, what we work on, whether it's developing products, whether it's your leadership style, whether it's looking at finances, those should return more than that to the organization. And, and that's part of that conversation. Um, and there's also different needs. And so one of the things that, that I do and that we do is look at how do we take a principle that's powerful for all of us in terms of community uh, and bring that into coaching through group coaching where we can bring uh, executives from different organizations, kind of same stage in their executive leadership in life, uh, but bring them together to lower the cost for nonprofits. But then also, uh, as you said, talk to and speak through, here are the tangible benefits and the ROI that working with a, a coach uh, can bring back to your organization in terms of leadership to people and to the bottom line. Now, for that leader of a nonprofit out there, is there some low-hanging fruit that they can be attacking on their own before they invest in a service like yours that they can help them at least open their mind to the different opportunities that are out there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so um, I had shared earlier that about half of um, nonprofits that I work with don't yet have earned revenue. They do grants and donations. And, and I would tell, and, and I do tell for anyone that will listen, uh, that nonprofits can and should earn money uh, as a way to further the mission. And so if, um, if someone was listening or asking, I would say that you are doing something. You have a program, you have a service that is a good, a product, whatever that may be, that is likely similar to a for-profit business uh, that does the same thing or something very similar. Uh, and you have an opportunity 
to sell that uh, as a way to serve people and fund the mission. And I would encourage people to look at that. What problems are they solving? Uh, what limitations are they putting on themselves saying, this always has to be free because we're a nonprofit. Typically, there are people that need problem solved at, at all ranges of ability to pay um, or ability to engage with your organization in various ways. And so I would encourage them to, to look at, at what program service they can offer, uh, charge for, and fund the mission through that. So now how does like how does that kind of brainstorming session work when you're working with these folks like are you just kind of whiteboarding out okay what are all the services we do right now and just start listing them and then just seeing which ones you can product productize or monetize Yeah uh, absolutely that is a, a great way to start is inventory what do we do um, just looking at what is it in fact that that you do that matches and similar and so um I'll tell you the quick story here. It, it was back with the Y and we had what we knew to be a game-changing program. We were going to launch something new. This was a group coaching health and well-being program. So think Weight Watchers, right? So we kind of saw an external business that was doing this and doing this uh, fairly well. And, and we said that this is somewhere that we can go. And so just we just went for it right away. We started planning uh, we invested in training coaches and our team. We invested heavily in marketing. We made sure to plan that this thing was going to launch in January. And we signed up 11 people. We have a 150,000 member <laughs> organization and we signed up 11 people. So, uh, you know, we usually learn the most, uh, after we fail something. And that was the case for me here. And so now outside of that whiteboarding, what, what I do and what I work through with nonprofits and what I would tell them to do with me or on their own is that you have to test your idea and what you plan to sell for purpose, <laughs> for people, and for promise. Uh, if it does not land squarely in the triangle of that three-part Venn diagram, uh, it is not as likely to be successful as something that lands inside of purpose, people, and promise. So now in the case of that, if you were to kind of do an autopsy on that uh, that mm-hmm. uh, test, where did it yeah. go wrong? Was it something that people weren't interested because they already had a, another solution? Was it a lack of clarity of not them? They didn't understand the value? Yeah, it, Excellent question. Uh, our, our 11 people total bomb on this program, right? Where did it go wrong? So if we look at purpose, uh, I describe purpose as doing the right thing for the right reason. And I would tell you that that's a, it's a really introspective heart matter. So first and foremost, uh, we launched that program to make money and we did not have uh, the reverse in our mind when we went out. Um, so that was kind of one. Uh, inside of purpose, it should be mission oriented. That one was but then you and I both know that anything that we start is, is going to take longer, uh, be harder, and will be more frustrating than we planned. And we didn't have team members that were passionate about it. And then beyond that, in that people bucket, we didn't have the capacity to deliver. We had three main team leads. And I would tell you that all of us were carrying 10-pound sacks that had 20 pounds worth of stuff in it. And, and we didn't have any bandwidth to make sure that this got anywhere. So did the program have tremendous promise? Yeah, it did, right? Like there's a funding model in place that worked. 
we knew that the audience was out there because we could see it elsewhere and people were telling us this. We really missed it on doing something for the right reason and making sure that the team was equipped and in a place where they could do it uh, with good intention and just run full speed into the unknown. So then uh, maybe looking back, doing it a different way, maybe the same concept, but finding that super fan that really believed in this and testing it only in their one location to get some traction and learn in this pilot program with a small group of people and, and seeing actual success from it might have been an easier way to kind of ease into this or get more escape velocity? It is exactly what it is. We we use that concept inside a promise, call it uh, test and see that it is good. And so get your small, small group of people, ask people for feedback, find out like, hey, this is different than Weight Watchers. Does this work and feel and sound the same as this program, right? This is a little different than this. But run some people through the program, uh, get some tests, tweak along the way, um, the key there is making sure that you're not just asking a whole bunch of people pleasers for yourself, uh, but really testing and seeing how people are going to respond to that. And when you do that, then then you know, okay, this, this has promise, right? We've had both good and bad feedback. We've tested it a couple of times. We have great results. People are ready to give us reviews. We've also built uh, some brand ambassadors. And that's an important, um, I, think, uh, that, I think that this is... Uh... People in, in both for-profit and non-profit forget this part of it, that they're looking to scale too quickly. They got to kind of earn their way to scale. And you earn it by, I think Seth Godin calls it, the minimum viable audience, that you have to yep. kind of master this small, get all the yep. bugs out, and then organically scale. It isn't something like, hey, we got this idea. We have access to 100,000 people. Let's just spew it out there and see what happens. I think yeah. that people are looking for shortcuts and then you really got, you can't do that. You got to earn your way up the ladder. You're, you're absolutely right. And and if we think about the people in that smallest viable audience that, that you were talking about, that's the group that it should be for. That's the group whose problem you are aiming to solve. And if it is extremely successful, as you said, that group grows, right? Because others then see, oh, maybe that is a problem that I want solved or it's working for these people. What are they doing? Um, and that smallest viable audience should be paired with the size of funding model that you're planning on, right? If my smallest viable audience is 50 people, it should match the return that I need to make sure I can keep delivering the program for those people or whomever else comes in. Uh, so that's kind of testing, right? If, if my smallest viable audience for that program launch was going to be 2,500 people and we never served more than 200, I either didn't test that audience well enough, or I didn't build a funding model that keeps us serving those 200 people properly. Now, is there a typical kind of point of entry for you in your work? Is the nonprofit struggling with something or are you coming in in a crisis where they're like, Hey, we got to do something. We better call John and his team. Um, or is it something that there are leaders out there that are being proactive that say, you know what, we we're plateauing. We want to get to a new level. Let's, let's call John and his team. Yeah. So that was, um, where I am now in terms of where I enter nonprofits is, is typically in an executive transition, right? So someone has come in and they're looking at, okay, we either need to improve some of our programs or, uh, we need to launch new. 
And, and right now is one of those times kind of as we exit out of uh, the COVID pandemic and people are re reimagining and re-engaging and okay, we're not quite fully here yet. We're kind of in this limbo and they're saying, what, what is it gonna look like for us on the backside of this? We changed everything and now we might have to change everything again. So executive transition or um, crisis. And then also just when they're doing uh, innovating, dreaming and thinking about what's possible. It, it usually is tied to some sort of change in terms of leadership, uh, money, or kind of the stability of the organization. Well, if uh, somebody wanted to learn more and have a conversation with you or somebody on the team, what's the website? Uh, so the website is uh, my name, johnkidwell.com, and it's John without an H. I figure you can't hear it, so I don't need it. So uh, johnkidwell.com. And for anyone that goes there, uh, you know, a volunteer, a board member, a nonprofit leader, uh, we have a free resource I would love to give away to them, and it's seven powerful reasons why nonprofits need to earn money. Uh, they can get that uh, just by sharing their email with us. And for those nonprofit leaders that get it or board members that want to take something back to their nonprofit, we do put in some ideas, uh, money-making services that are available and really popular inside of nonprofits. Good stuff. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. Yeah.